0: Welcome to Commune, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that bring us together and help us live healthy and purpose-filled lives. Today, 1 in 4 Americans are religiously unaffiliated, making the unaffiliated the largest religious group in the country, a trend that has been driven in large part by millennials. In 1986, for example, only 10% of young adults claimed no religious affiliation. Today, nearly 40% of young adults are religiously unaffiliated, a huge generational change. Clearly, they differ significantly from their elders, but how has the millennial experience changed the ways in which young people are gathering? Just because they're plugged in doesn't mean they're necessarily connected. There's a recent study that identified Americans' motivation for leaving their childhood religion. The top answers were, number one, they stopped believing in their religion's teachings. Number two, their family was never that religious when they were growing up. And number three, their experience of how religious institutions treat gay and lesbian people. That could also explain why nearly half of LGBT Americans are religiously unaffiliated. In that regard, we wondered if the polarization of politics might factor in too. So out of curiosity, we compared the blue state of California to the red state of Texas. And in both states, millennials make up about 25% of the overall population. Turns out in California, the percent of all religiously unaffiliated adults is 27. And in Texas, as you might expect, a smaller number, 18% of adults are religiously unaffiliated. Pretty big differences between the states. But then we zoomed into just the millennial populations of California and Texas and found that 37% of millennials identified as unaffiliated in California, and in Texas, that number jumped to a comparable 34%. It certainly seems as though the vast majority of American millennials are disassociating themselves from organized religion. So how is the most plugged-in, diverse generation in American history coming together and creating community? What are millennials doing to counter their tendencies towards digital connection and physical isolation? If they aren't showing up in churches, well then, where are they gathering? Well, they're going to CrossFit, or SoulCycle, or curated dinner parties. They're going to Zumba, or AA, or yoga. And that might not be bad news. Angie Thurston is director of formation at the On Being Impact Lab, a ministry innovation fellow at the Harvard Divinity School and the co-author of How We Gather and Care of Souls, two reports profiling new forms of social and spiritual connection. After two years of observation, Angie and her partners saw a hopeful landscape emerging and decided to share the findings of their research into how millennials are flocking to a host of new organizations. In today's episode, I talk to Angie about how and why millennials are creating community in ways that are surprising and perhaps even religious. I'm your host, Jeff Krasno, and welcome to this week's episode of the Commune Podcast.
1: So, from my own perspective, my kind of orientation in life, I guess, has been spiritual from the youngest age I can remember. And I've always been guided by these questions of what does it look like to become closer to the sacred or to that experience of connectedness to all? And what does it mean to become more useful uh, to other beings along the way? So th- those have been some of the guiding questions uh, throughout in terms of who I am. (laughs) I don't know that I have answers to them so much as a deepening of the questions and what they mean. I get to focus a lot on the very things I just described. of What is the nature of spiritual deepening and how do we foster it? And I got into that by virtue of kind of asking these questions in the midst of all these changes that we're seeing in the religious landscape and in the community landscape, especially in the United States where we have a crisis of isolation and a lot of emerging communities rising up to try to meet people as we contend with so much change.
0: Yeah, I want to mine that a little bit more because I think we, as you point out in your report and, and some of the work that I've read, you know, we live in this place of great global connection but local isolation. And I know that you've taken kind of a, a deeper look at the millennials and their disassociation with more typical institutional religion. But at the same time, they're feeling the same needs for spirituality and connection. Can you unpack a little bit of that for us and maybe talk a little bit about the, the How We Gather report that is just uh, fascinating?
1: So for context, as you noted, uh, at least in the United States, there is an ever-accelerating phenomenon of religious disaffiliation, which is to say people more and more are identifying themselves as outside the boundary of any clear religious community or identity. And so when asked on a survey about, you know, which Which box do you check? Which religion do you identify with? More and more people are saying none of the above. So that's part of why this phenomenon is sometimes called the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And on on a national level, the younger you are statistically in the U.S., the more likely you are to be unaffiliated. And so that phenomenon, you know, sometimes is portrayed as one of secularization, which is to say, oh, well, everyone is just becoming more and more atheist or more and more agnostic in their beliefs. And to some extent, this is true. Certainly amongst the nuns, uh, there are quite a number who would self-identify with that language. But there's a much more nuanced story here, which has to do with people's disaffiliation from organized religion, not necessarily meaning a lack of spirituality or a lack of interest, particularly in meaningful community and meaningful experiences of belonging. And so the How We Gather report that I wrote with Casper Terkail a few years ago was really an exploration of where are people finding meaningful experiences of belonging, particularly outside of um, a religious context explicitly, and what are some of the experiences that they're having there. And so we spoke with leaders of communities from across sectors. So whether that was fitness communities like CrossFit and Full Cycle or maker spaces like Artisan's Asylum or communities around grief and loss like the dinner party uh, or justice movements or gaming communities or, you know, even morning dance parties, just all these proliferating emerging communities that... Uh, had a lot of DNA that we started to see in common and, and that we really started to identify as coalescing around six themes that basically came down to personal transformation, social transformation, the way those two interact, uh, the activation of creativity, a sense of purpose-finding, accountability, which was an, an interesting one we could explore just around people holding each other accountable to being who they want to be, and, and then this this community
0: So we're disassociating from religious institutions, but at the same time, we're wired for connection, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But now we kind of don't have that place to go that maybe our parents or our grandparents did, right? So are you seeing the rise in some of these other kinds of community groups in a way of like addressing that need to be connected around shared values and shared practices in a way that actually also provides some continuity the way people, you know, went to church on every Sunday.
1: Totally. And I think what's been fascinating is just the extent to which those needs are showing up. So after writing How We Gather, uh, we started gathering (laughs) the leaders of these communities uh, that we were getting to know. One of the startling things that we noticed across the board was that even if the people in leadership had gone into the work, as they often did, trying to meet a need in their own lives, right, feeling disconnected, desiring greater connection, usually around something in particular, and had expected to uh, take on this leadership role that would allow them to experience community and connection, they ended up in a leadership role that became more and more pastoral because people were bringing their whole lives into this community. And so you have people asking their soul cycle instructors to officiate their weddings and holding their funerals in the CrossFit box and texting the director of the Makerspace at 3 a.m. to ask him about um, if he can come in because he's thinking of self-harming. You know, I mean, it's the highs and lows across the board that these leaders were coming up against. And so there was a real, I, what I was moved by was the sincerity on their part to say, okay, this isn't what I trained for. It isn't what I expected, but I want to be able to go deep into myself so I can go deep with these people who are now in my care. Um, so a lot of what our work has ended up oriented around lately, and what we're starting to see more and more of in this landscape as well, is is right around that question of consistency and of deepening, the idea of where do I go again and again and where can I find nurturance over time? So more and more efforts that are really inviting people into close-knit community over time that's oriented around deepening the well, that's oriented around cultivating connection in a way that can help them to uh, both nurture their inner life so that they can subsist and nurture their outer life so they become more adept at, at serving and being there for people.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, though, a church is different in the sense that it is grounded in theology and in training and has a real sort of spiritual tradition to it. And so do you think it's fair to equate CrossFit and soul cycle with a religious institution?
1: So on those grounds, ultimately, no. A religious community, like a a church, and especially historically, when things were a lot more place-based for many people, was kind of bundled together. So it was your... Or your theology or how you made meaning of your life. And it was your community, the place where you met your partner and raised your children. It was the place where you had intergenerational relationships and elders. It was the place where you, you know, even in some cases, it was the place where you went to school or at least, you know, were raised with a certain religious education. So all that stuff and and the identity that went with it were bundled together and now, what we've seen is a kind of unbundling, and and this is kind of across the board, whether or not you're affiliated religiously, because you could still be Christian, for instance, but you could also be drawing upon your yoga practice and your meditation app, and you know, going to Shabbat dinner with your friends. And so there's a there's a kind of unbundling of the offerings that were once all held together in a single religious institution, and an attempt to remix them <laughs> in an individual life, and so soul cycle can be part of that life, right? Much as your yoga practice can be part of that life, but there's a real uh, conundrum that can arise when somebody's like, "Okay, I'm drawing from all these different streams, but then how do I, you know, <laughs> where's the river?" right? Like how do I how do I make progress here? How do I go deeper here? So that's that's a lot of where we're trying to really ask some questions and get creative <laughs> um, about what it might look like to, to support people in that next step.
0: So have you seen, you know, growth or evolution since your report? I mean, ha- has the landscape changed even since, you know, 2015?
1: Yeah, definitely. We've now written five reports in total, um, including how we gather. And during that time, I mean, when we first, got on the phone with a marketing director at SoulCycle back in 2014. Here we were like, we're calling from Harvard Divinity School, and what do you mean by soul, right? And it (laughs) was was a lot of wariness on the other end. And in the time since then, it's been remarkable to see the way that an organization like SoulCycle is embracing, like, yes, this is a spiritual journey, um, that 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 has started to be something that is marketable. And, And we've been finding that Meaning making, as it were, is basically it's it's a growth industry. You know, there's the wellness industry, there's the sort of subsidiary parts of, but that big question of like how do we make meaning of our lives is more and more it feels like um, in in the mainstream and something that different entrepreneurial efforts are are applying themselves to.
0: Yeah, no, I think you could see that personal growth and. Community connection—it's almost like the yoga of today. <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. um,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: And you know, mindfulness practices as a way to connect. I mean, part of it is obviously your own spiritual growth, but it's also in a way to connect with the part of yourself that is your infinite soul that feels much more connected to the world around you and to god or whatever
1: you want to call it exactly and i think there's a few ways to think about that and and it's been remarkable because in in the last year especially the same kind of mapping energy that we applied to getting to know communities and kind of exploring this question of belonging um, we've now been putting a lot of energy into the question of becoming, right? So how does how does that belonging intersect with growth? Not just in the dimension of, you know, how am I getting in touch with my authentic self, although that's core, um, but also the dimension of how am I tending? what is sacred in other people and how am I cultivating a sense of connectedness to something more, right? Which we could call the sacred, we could call God, we could tell, you know, the bigger story we're part of. Uh, And so those three dimensions of exploration have, it's remarkable to see how much it's proliferating to explore that. So yeah, I would definitely affirm that that seems to be where a lot of things are headed.
0: Hey, it's Jeff. And as an athlete, I've been told my entire life to make sure that I get enough electrolytes, but it's only recently that I have truly understood what electrolytes are and the many essential physiological functions that they fulfill. Okay, so you ready for Electrolytes 101? Here we go. When essential minerals like sodium, potassium, chloride, and magnesium dissolve in a fluid, they form electrolytes positive or negative ions needed to maintain vital bodily functions. For example, sodium ions are used by the brain to send electrical signals, hello, electrolytes, through your neurons in order to communicate with other neurons and the cells throughout your body. So electrolytes are key for brain health. Sodium also retains water and maintains proper hydration levels and fluid balance in your cells through a process called osmosis. Now, Calcium and potassium are needed for muscle contraction. They facilitate muscle fibers to slide together and move over each other as the muscle shortens and contracts. Magnesium is also required in this process so that the muscle fibers can relax after contraction. Magnesium is a total other beast. It plays a role in protein synthesis, sleep, and blood sugar balance and hundreds of other functions it's for all these reasons and more that i add element to my water element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with a thousand milligrams of sodium 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium and guess what no sugar element is sweetened with stevia a plant-based sugar substitute that won't spike glucose levels a 20 ounce serving of many popular sports drinks that i'm sure you know can contain 36 grams of sugar it's absurd that those products are marketed as healthy when they contain almost as much sugar as a soda Many listeners know that I still play competitive tennis. Now, before I started using Element, I was prone to fatigue and cramping during long matches due to the loss of sodium. No longer. I'm right there, moving like a panther at the end of a grueling three-set match. So right now, Element is offering Commune listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash commune. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T, drinkelement.com slash commune. Element offers no questions around refunds, so Try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, share it with a friend and they will give you your money back. No questions asked. You've got nothing to lose. So go to drinkelement.com slash commune. Are you cool with the general commercial expropriation of the spiritual if it does actually provide community? Because, you know, and I asked that sort of with the soul cycle, but the, I don't want to pick on them per, per se. But, you know, <laughs> it, it's sort of the okay, we're going to sprinkle in some Sanskrit because. We know there's a lot of people going to yoga, and that feels kind of quasi spiritual and so and that's okay um because generally, spirituality has dwelled in the nonprofit realm um I would say, and you know i'm I'm part of the whole thing in some ways, you know, creating commercial enterprise around creating you know spiritual growth and community building. Does that feel true and authentic to you?
1: Well, it's fascinating because. We live in a culture where, for instance, having a hot body is valued, (laughs) right? And so you can charge, CrossFit and SoulCycle are doing very well financially, whereas a lot of these other communities that I've gotten to know, um, whether it's the dinner party or these maker spaces or, you know, these justice movements, they're being very scrappy (laughs) and making it work, right? And a lot of them have come and gone over the last five years that I've even been paying close attention, right? I would love to see part of the paradigm shift that we seem to be experiencing around spirituality and meaning-making to also include a, a paradigm shift around the way that this entire economy of meaning-making is operating, which is to say, you know, as we get innovative about whether it's technology and things like cyber currency and all of this kind of stuff, you know, it's like whatever the leading edge of innovation is around economics and the way that we are valuing things at at the deepest level, like what does it mean to actually cultivate a spiritual economy? (laughs) And, you know, what would be the motives of that? So like, I'm certainly not just, happy that on the one hand you have 35 dollars a class for soul cycle and on the other hand you have these communities that are doing extraordinary and life-giving work that are shutting down because they don't have funds right like i don't i don't think that's how it should be at the same time if people are going into a CrossFit box and they're thinking they're going there for the muscle and they're coming out with a sense of connectedness to themselves, other people and God, like that's pretty awesome. Um, so I'd rather it be there than not. And I think, you know, and I don't want to also just give a blank check to our religious institutions of old. Cause like, as you know, something like the front row at SoulCycle cycle that you'll pay your $10,000 to be able to sign up early. Like, people paying for pews in new England was essentially the same thing, right? Like you bought your way to the front, no question about it. So, you know, I also want to be clear that it hasn't all just been altruism in our, in our institutions along the way.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, my wife started a yoga studio at ground zero in early 2002 and, um, It was very much focused around healing that community that had gone through a tremendous amount of grief. And her little studio became kind of the center gathering place for that community. But her little tagline back then, which I I hadn't thought much about, was spirituality through sweat. But this, of course, is yoga. So it's actually a spiritual tradition. It's not a, a psych, uh, like a spinning fad. It's been around for 4,000 years. And so I do believe that through physical practice, you can begin to unlock. Um, the spiritual, and that's why you know, at the end of yoga class, and you know, you have this savasana, which is this beautiful meditation moment. And to be honest, I have a very, very hard time just sitting and meditating any old time, but at the end of a yoga class, I am just ready to go, yeah, you know, (laughs) Um, yeah, right. But I have one last question for you, which is, is all meaningful connection? happen in real life and I mean non-digital or can you have actual real community connection digitally
1: Mm -hmm. well I am certainly banking on the possibility that you can and this is another area where I get very excited about what the future portends but at the moment it appears to be a large discrepancy right between real life and virtual life and the result of that has been a real emphasis on you know meetups tagline of uh, you know going online to get offline right that, that that there's a real value to being in real life and and i certainly affirm that i've been meeting with a a sort of spiritual small group since 2010 and at that time we met on the phone and then Skype became good enough to use and now I spend half of my life on Zoom video calls and the project I'm building now called the Formation Project is going to be built off of small groups that make sacred space on Zoom. (laughs) And I wonder in 10 years, you know, what will the Zoom equivalent be? Because it's going to be more like being with people than it is now. And even as it is, I feel very clear that their relationships I have begun with people that I spend online time with are real (laughs) and that, you know, being with them in person makes it deeper right now because you know our technology isn't sufficient to have that full on experience. But I get excited about what the developments in technology that we have so far say about the nature of the divine, right? Like what we've manifested in the internet is, you know, invisible connection made visible. (laughs) And so, you know, whatever it is that we are in the image of must at least be that interconnected, right? (laughs) Obviously, you know, there's A thousand places you can point to to look at how our our lives online are making us more depressed and more disconnected and more isolated and more, you know, so don't get me wrong that I'm just rosy about that. There's a real crisis to be weathered here, but part of why I'm convicted about trying to build a real spiritual infrastructure online is because I think we haven't been focusing on that potential.
0: In all your study, what have you found that are, are, are the essential ingredients for connection and belonging?
1: One of my mentors, whose name is Killian No, she talks about how to be known without being loved is a very painful thing. But to be loved without being known is also crushing. <laughs> and so to be deeply known and deeply loved is transformational. And, you know, I think when you look at these communities, Paul Bourne writes about in Deepening Community, uh, the act of bringing chicken soup to a neighbor, it seems uh, almost cliche, but it's actually rather profound because you have to know your neighbor. You have to know them well enough to know they're sick. You have to know if they're a vegetarian. You have to know if they're home, right? There's so many layers of knowing. And then there's the act of showing up and caring. layered on top of that knowledge and that relationship. And so in the deep communities that we've gotten to know through this work, there is relationship over time, and then there's investment in the lives of those with whom one is in relationship to show up in the highs, to show up in the lows, and to show up in between. Whether it's online or offline, whether it's calling itself religious or not, that's what it comes down to there's a lot of other words like loyalty and devotion and of course love but something about that uh, that trustworthiness engendered over time and of course yes the the vulnerability and the opening that can can occur under those conditions i think is is vital i think we all need it
0: yeah angie thank you god bless you for the work you're doing really appreciate you taking time and if i'm ever in boston i'll bring you some chicken soup i promise. (laughs)
1: Okay, well, if I don't beat you to it.
0: (laughs) Hey, it's Jeff. Now, I always heard vitamin supplements are a waste of money as they just pass through your system. Expensive pee, right? Well, now I understand why. And the reasons it's so hard to absorb large doses of certain nutrients through the pills, powders, and gummies at the store. Now, when you take these supplements or even consume foods, your digestive system must extract vitamins and minerals and, depending on the nutrient, convert them to a form your body can use now some nutrients depend on proteins to transport them into the bloodstream and to the cells for absorption now often these supplements contain such large quantities that your body doesn't have enough resources like transporter proteins to absorb the nutrients since your body can't store water soluble vitamins like c and the b family as well as minerals like magnesium zinc and selenium they wind up excreted and never reaching the cells where they are needed to support your immune system metabolism nervous system and so much more now, I didn't know all of this when I started taking Live On Labs lipospheric vitamin C. I just know that if Skyler was giving them to me, they must be good. Well, it turns out that Live On Labs understands the difficulty of high-dose nutrient absorption, and they became the first dietary supplement company to use liposomal encapsulation technology to enhance nutrient absorption. Now, liposomes are double-layered spheres that Live On Labs uses to surround, protect, and transport water-soluble vitamins and minerals into the bloodstream and to the cells for absorption. Liposomes are made of essential phospholipids, the same material that makes up your cells. So they easily pass into the cells and deliver the nutrients, staying behind to fortify the cell membrane. Now the Livon Labs liposome encapsulated supplement line includes vitamin C, a B vitamin complex that contains pre-methylated folate, a magnesium specifically formulated for the brain and the master antioxidant glutathione. And guess what? Only the ingredients necessary for maximum absorption. That means no sugar and no fillers, no colors, no artificial flavors. If you don't wanna know what that tastes like, and trust me, you probably don't, make sure to follow the instructions on the package. Uh, Right now, Live On Labs is offering commune listeners free sample two packs of all their liposome encapsulated supplements with any purchase. This is a great way to try all six of their powerful supplements and get accustomed to their weird, unique, goo-like consistency. Just get yours at liveonlabs.com commune. This offer is only available through my link. You must go to liveonlabs.com slash commune. Live on Labs has a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back, so you have nothing to lose. Go to liveonlabs.com slash commune. The way we gather is changing, but seeking out spaces that suit our need for connection is just as important as it's always been. One of the most exciting parts of this communal spiritual revolution is that whatever type of spiritual experience you're seeking, from cycling to yoga to flipping tires at the gym, group meditation events, or even more traditional religious practices, chances are there's a community of like-minded individuals out there waiting to welcome you. Thanks for listening to the Commune Podcast. Subscribe now for weekly episodes. I'm your host, Jeff Krasno, and I'll see you next week. If you're interested in connecting with like-minded individuals online in a safe and non-commercial place, join our Commune community forum at join.onecommune.com. Jeff. And when it comes to your health and longevity, you hold nothing back. You understand what it means to push harder and reach farther and go that extra mile. Well, this relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build strength, speed recovery, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance for the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, You'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist right there in your pocket. If you're interested in this innovative service, I've got great news for Commune listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Dr. G. That's insidetracker.com forward slash DRG.